Hi everyone, my name is DeAndre Sinet and I am your host for a Distinct Lens Podcast. I have a special guest here today. Her name is Stephanie Greenland. Hi Stephanie. Hi guys. She's 22. She's currently a student uh, and a healthcare assistant. She's from Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. Yeah. Did I pronounce that correctly? Very well. Okay. <laughs> okay. And she's, she's living in Kobe currently, which is actually where we're at at the moment. So how are you? Okay. Okay. Good. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, so as you know, a distinct lens is a podcast about. Uh, it's a platform that I've created to allow us to share our experiences um, for the purposes of us leveling up in terms of financial literacy, so that we can start to support one another a bit more and practice group economics, so that we can you know, empower our communities. Um, so that's the purpose of the podcast. And I really appreciate you coming on to be Thank a guest. You me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, I know you're a really busy young lady. Um, <laughs> so I guess we'll just dive right in. So I wanted to ask, you were born in Bilawayo? Bilawayo, yes. Okay. What was, what was life like when you, when you were growing up there? Well, to start off, I feel like it's really, very different from life over here. Mm -hmm. So I feel like... From a young age, we were taught to be very independent. Like, I remember my mum would leave the house and we'd be, uh, like, home alone mm. with no adults in the house. And when I came here and I told people that it was, like, a very big taboo, like, you'd never leave kids alone. Yeah. So I feel like that's when I started to notice, okay, now things are a bit different here, do you know what I mean? Okay. But, yeah, I feel like children are just taught to be a lot more independent. Ah, okay. Yeah. How, do, you, do you know how old you were when you started to realise you were home alone? Seven. Seven years old? Yeah, seven. So I would be seven, my youngest brother would be three, and then Gerard would be ten. So just those okay. ages, home alone. And Gerard is your... My older brother. Your older brother. Yes. So was he the oldest in the house in at the, the time? In the house at the time, yes. And how old was he? Ten. Okay, so he was like looking out for the other well, children. Like, yeah. Okay, and he would prepare the meals? And... No, that would be me. Ah, yeah. at seven? <laughs> at seven. Wow. I'm surprised no one died. Like, I remember one time my mum went to work. And we were all at home hungry and we're like, okay, what are we going to eat? And we used to have a swimming pool, but the swimming pool broke. So we used mm. to have fish in the pool, like really? little, little guppy fish. Uh -huh. So we're like, okay, we're going to catch the fish and then we're going to cook them. What? So we used to have a maid that would stay like on the same property. Like, okay, this is a bit different again. Like we have maids in Zimbabwe. Yeah. So we used to have a maid that would stay in the property. But obviously she'd have her own quarters. Mm. So we said to her, if you make the fire, we'll all eat the fish together. Mm. So I remember we caught all the fish, which we weren't allowed to do. And then we went down to go fry them. And my mum came home from work and she caught us and we got beat. But then we were hungry, so I don't know what she expected us to do. What? Yeah. Okay, so tell me about it. You guys had a swimming pool yes. and you had maids. Yes, but so, the swimming pool was broken. <laughs> so you guys were pretty well off growing up? Not us as per se because when I was younger I lived in my elder brother and sister's dad's house uh, okay. so he was a Danish man okay. that my mum obviously hadn't been involved in and when he left Zimbabwe he allowed my mum to continue to stay in the house uh, with us so it wasn't as per se us being well off it was more so generosity of others if that makes sense yes yeah. that makes sense that makes sense okay so you mentioned your mom yes um did were you raised by anyone else in the house in the house or not just in the house, were you raised by anyone else when you were growing up in Bilbao? Yeah, so basically my mom, obviously, she had um, quite a few partners. Mm -hmm. So like, she was very, let's, how do you put it in a polite way? Very, I'm trying to put it as nice as my mama. 
she was very weak-minded when it came to men. That's the nicest way I can put it. Okay. So if, okay. if a man said jump, she would say how, how high. high. Ah, okay. So once she met this man, and then he had a job in South Africa, and mm. around the time I was, I was still in junior school. So that's what three years until twelve years. So I was under the age of twelve. Okay. Um, I was. I would say I remember being ten, eleven. And then um, he got a job in South Africa and then she wanted to obviously go with him because she obviously didn't want to be apart from her partner. Mm. And obviously because I was still in school and then it's kind of like what man wants to look after other people's children, do you know what I mean? Right. So then she left me and Gerard, she took my youngest brother who's four years younger than me, so he'll be five, six. Mm -hmm. And she left us with a friend of hers. Really? Yes. But the friend of hers is actually a relative of Natasha's. So the friend of hers and Natasha is my cousin. Your cousin, yes. okay. Who was also a guest <laughs> on, on the distinct yeah. It's a family yes. affair. Yes. So then she left us with um her friend who was in a highly abusive relationship, but she was aware of the abuse taking place in the house, but she just placed us in their care because no one else would take us in. So your mom knew that the friend she left you with was in a domestic Did abuse situation, yes. and she still chose to leave you and your there. brother there. Yes. Wow. Yes, so then we stayed with her for on and off like two years. Like my mum would come home for a bit, take us, then drop us off again and go again. Wow. Yeah. So then, yeah, and then when I was about like 12, we went to stay in South Africa for a little bit. Mm. Now, with your mom and with the my guy? Mom and the guy. Okay. And my little brother. But we, it was only like a holiday, so we were there like two, three months, so we weren't there for too long. And then he lost his jobs, then we all moved back. Yeah. Did he come? With, as well, yes, that's the only reason. She wouldn't have come back without him. Okay. Yeah, and then my father, who left to live in the UK when I was three years old, he came back to the UK to try and get Gerard and myself visas mm -hmm. in order to come to the UK. Uh. And in order for us to get the visas, social services said he has to be like our sole care provider. Mm -hmm. So then we had to move out my mum's house and now move into my dad's house. Okay. And my dad stayed with my grandma. Okay. Not a very nice lady. So then I stayed with my dad for a little bit, but the home environment was just not... Now you said not a very nice lady. Yeah. Do you care to elaborate? She's or? Just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> she was just not a very nice person. Like she'd just like constantly tell my dad, "Oh, you need to beat your kids up," but I, we wouldn't have done anything. Or she'd be like, "We had a special fridge in the house mm -hmm. where there was food that only we were allowed to eat in there. We weren't allowed to eat out the main fridge, so we had our own little refrigerator. Yeah. So you guys only eat out of out this of that one. refrigerator. We weren't allowed to take any food out of the main refrigerator. Um, because obviously she has quite a big amount of kids and grandkids mm. I had a room in the house but every single time a family member would come mm -hmm. I'd come home to all my stuff packed up really yeah every time every time I would be kicked out my room to accommodate for one of my cousins or something coming into the house so where would you sleep in the lounge and or I'd go home to my mom's house ah uh, okay yeah so obviously it wasn't working for me and I just says to my, so my dad came, because when my dad would go back to the UK obviously because his wife is um, British, mm -hmm. so her Zimbabwean visa would run out, mm -hmm. so obviously she'd have to go back to renew the visa then come back into the country again. Right. So every couple of months they'd go back obviously, so one time when my dad went back I had to move out of my grandma's house because she didn't want to look after us when my dad wasn't there. Mm -hmm. 
So I'd either go to my mum's house, but then my mum would be like, I have no money, so I can't take you to school or anything. So then I'd go stay by my grandma because my grandma lived like close to my school. Mm -hmm. So my grandma would take us in. But then sometimes my grandma would be like, we don't have money because my dad wasn't giving them any money for us. And you had, to, from my understanding, you guys, you, you had to pay to go to school. Just school fees, yeah. So my dad would only send money for school fees. No extra money. No, didn't care about how we were getting to school. Didn't care what we were eating at school. Didn't care what we were wearing to school. Just, these are school fees. Just, just make sure you get You go to school, yeah. Wow. So then I moved in with my grandma. So it was back and forth between my dad's house, my grandma's house, and my mum's house. I was just... Bounced like I literally lived out of a suitcase at one point because I just I was tired. I was so mentally tired of packing a bag. And how long of a period did this last? Oh, two, three years. Okay. Until I moved to the UK. So I'll say 13 until about 16. I was just being bounced back and forth. Okay, so let me ask mm -hmm. education during that time. Were you going to school on a regular basis during that uh, time? Depending on if people had the finances to get me to school. Uh -huh. So sometimes it would be on and off. Like sometimes I'd miss school. And then people be asking you why you're not at school, but how do you explain a home situation like that? You know what I mean? It's yeah, even as a, especially as a child. Child, yeah. yeah. So it was, it was when someone could get me to school, I'd be going to school. Ah, okay. Yeah. Now the times when you were at school, I wanted to ask: mm -hmm. Did they, did you learn anything about finances or managing money or? No. In Zimbabwe, you find it's very tab taboo for people to even speak about money, let alone how to deal with money. And because mm. of the currency we had, like I've listened to Gerard and Natasha's podcast where they talk about like inflation and stuff in Zimbabwe, because money would switch and change. Like we'd go from the, the rand to the pula to the dollar to the bond. We were switching between currencies so quickly mm. and money was devaluing at an even faster rate. It was hard for you to teach somebody, oh, this is how much this is and you shouldn't spend more than that on this or you should save for this because you could save for something today tomorrow when you went to the shop it wouldn't be the same price anymore do you know what I mean? ah yeah so it was really hard to get a gauge for the value of, of things anything, exactly. using the currency that exactly. you guys had and then because jobs are even even more scarce it's hard for you to say oh if you go to work and you save this percentage of your wage or mm -hmm. this percentage of your salary because people are hardly employed now why is that I feel like mainly due to like just lack of industry mm. and then most of the money like I just feel like it's lack of a, a sense of intelligence mm -hmm. within Zimbabwe because look at it this way we import most of our goods mm. so any money that goes into our economy leaves before it even settles mm -hmm. so it goes straight out your pocket to South Africa because that's where we'd import more most of our goods from mm -hmm. So there's hardly any money in our economy, so how are we keeping industry open? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's no one buying from us, so how are you paying your workers? How are you keeping the factory running? There's just a lack of economy as a whole. Okay. Okay. So you said you... How old were you when you moved to the UK? 16. 16? Yes. Okay, so... What was what was that like? Culture shock of my life. Culture shock. <laughs> yes. Okay, tell me a bit about it. Just people here are so different. I just feel like because especially having quite a hard life, you just realize that some people, like people here, were really privileged mm. compared to what I saw. Like they got to go to school for free. Mm. I've seen children beg their parents to be sent to school because their parents couldn't afford to send them to school. 
Yeah. We as children here would just say, oh, well, I don't want to go to school where there was a child back home dying just for that opportunity. To go to school mm-hmm. and take advantage and of the education. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Crazy. It really puts things in perspective. Exactly. I know, I mean, I, I grew up in the United States, but I, I do remember, you know, going to school and a lot of kids there wouldn't want to be there. I remember I was the kid sometimes that'd be like, I wanted to stay at home. You know, you, you take that for granted. Granted, exactly. Okay. Now, when you, when you, went, when you came to the UK, mm-hmm. you were 16. Yes. From my understanding, at 16 is, in the UK is when you begin to take your GSC. Yeah, GCSEs. GCSEs, yeah. yes. Okay, and that's like the equivalent of um, getting prepared to go to college in the United States. So you take those, te- those tests here so you can start to potentially go to uni or uh, it's another path that you can take yeah, so as well. Yeah, so you'll do your GCSEs and then you'll do your A-levels and then A-levels. you can go to uni. Yeah. Okay. So okay. 18, then you go to uni, yeah. Okay. So ha- you said culture shock. Yes. What, what, what happened? Obviously, I got here and I was just this little girl in this big world and then you just then you get here and then people look at you differently as well because obviously mm-hmm. I had quite a strong accent when I came in so everyone was like what the hell mm-hmm. but then it's just so different like you can literally like I remember you just go into a shop and everything you could have ever wanted would be in the shop uh... Whereas sometimes in Zimbabwe like when exports for imports were low like you'd go into the shop and all you'd have was toilet paper in the whole entire shop wow so you just go in the shops here and like the shelves will just be stacked to the fullest like oh my gosh wow what were the what were the people like people Mm -hmm. oh when i first went to school i realized that people were just quite um small-minded like Mm -hmm. i remember my first week of school one of the girls asked me oh have you ever slept with a fisherman for fish and i was like pardon like what do you mean now did she ask you that because you were a foreigner from africa Africa? yes I, I wish I knew the thought process behind the question, but she said she saw it on TV and I just thought, okay. And she believed that? Yeah, she believed that that's what we did in order to get by. You know, and something I want to point out, that's the power of media. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, there's, we've allowed, I don't even want to say we've allowed, there's been such an export of the black experience mm-hmm. by Western civilization mm-hmm. around the globe that depicts us in such a degrading way, in such an inaccurate way. Mm -hmm. Like, case in point, what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Like, what? Exactly. Like, what was the thought process behind that? But then, you can't blame people. Well, I mean, you can, because it's not hard to research in our day and age. We have plenty. Yeah, at at the crux of it is ignorance. They just don't know any better, and they are believing what they see on the TV screen. It was so crazy. I just, I did to this day, I still, I've not answered that question because I just thought, what the hell? Wow. Crazy. Okay. And so, uh, what school did you, like, when you moved over here, where were you living at? Like, what town, what city? So, I lived, I've lived in Corby. The whole time? When I went to uni, obviously, I moved out of Corby. Okay. But, for high school, so my three years of high school, because I had to um, redo one year, because just of the whole uneducated African stereotype, they thought I was incapable of writing my GCSEs that same year. So uh, they pushed me back a year because they just thought I lacked education. But so you didn't even have an opportunity? To Nope. They said straight away that they, well, they, they put it in the sense that I would be at a disadvantage. But then I had all my 
school reports and everything so i was like no i've already learned most of your content mm -hmm. i can just write the exams i was more than confident to just do that mm -hmm. but they were like no wow yeah okay and then so that next year you took your i took my gcses yeah okay then I passed all of them so I could go on to A-levels. Okay. And so then I picked my A-level subjects in line with what I thought I wanted to do at uni, but then I changed my mind after that. Okay. Yeah. And, and now you're in university. Yes, now I'm in university. Now, I want to ask, in, when you were going through school, when you moved to the UK, and was there any type of education about finances or managing money? No. Nope. Or how to make money work for you? No, nope, nothing at all. Nothing. I even took business as an A-level and I never learned that. Wow. Not even a bit of accounting, nothing. Oh, so what were they teaching in business courses? Just more so how to run businesses. Not even how to start a business. But how to run, how to a, run a business. run a business. Like you just wake up one day with a business and... This is how you yeah, run it. Yeah, this is how you run it. You know, it's funny. So I have a bachelor's degree in business. Mm -hmm. I have a master's degree in business. I took one course on entrepreneurship and that was in undergrad. The rest of the things that I learned, like my bachelor's degree, it prepared me to be like a mid-level manager mm -hmm. at a at a large corporation, say a Fortune 500 or a FTSE 500 mm -hmm. corporation. And and then in my master's degree, you know, it, it helped me to master the ins and outs of business, like big business. But I only had one course on actually how to start a business and it didn't even get to the basics mm -hmm. like the documents, the legal documents you would need, the legal entities you would need to set up, how to go about it in a particular state that you lived in, like those really important details like to actually start. Right. Anything, registering your business, none of that. None of it. And so it, it, it struck me as odd. And I was like, am I the only one having this experience? Like, but it's like we're conditioned, we're socialized, exactly. we're taught to, to work, work for others. other people. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you you went off to university. Yes. Uh, where do you go to university? Because you're currently in school now, right? I'm, yeah, I'm learning online now. Okay. But I go to university in Birmingham, which is about an hour away from here. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, mostly what I know about Birmingham is what I've seen on Peaky Blinders. <laughs> it's nothing like that at all. I, I imagine, you know, this yeah. is just the show on, on it's TV. Very, um multicultural i'll say i found that one of the most shocking things mm. so when i went there, there it's very diverse mm -hmm. in the sense that you find asians black like both types of asians like middle eastern and like now when you say asians in, yes. a, in the united states when we usually say asian mm -hmm. we're referring to people specifically like from china mm -hmm. japan korea mm -hmm. the philippines you know we consider those people asian, asian. here that also encompasses what Western civilization has labeled as the Middle East as well. Mm -hmm. So people from Pakistan, people from Afghanistan. I didn't know that. I found that interesting when I moved here. <laughs> yeah. Now, why is that? Do, do you know that? that I actually have no idea why, but uh -huh. that's just how they've been labeled with them. Okay. So, so what was it like moving from Corby to Birmingham? So when I lived in Corby, I had majority like white friends mm -hmm. and I had two black friends. Mm -hmm. And when I now in Birmingham, I only have black friends. Ah. But I feel like it's just because obviously I came from Zimbabwe where majority of my friends were black. So I just feel more comfortable mm -hmm. being in a black social setting, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And is that as a, a 
Is that the reason for that? Is that because of how you were raised? I feel like it's how I was raised and how they were raised as well. Like I find it really uh, hard to level with certain people on like a specific level. Mm -hmm. Whereas with black people, other black people, like I find it a bit easier. Because you have yeah, similar, similar experiences. experiences. I can dig it. I can dig it. Okay. Okay. So, I always send out a pre-interview questionnaire. Yes. And one of the questions that I asked was, do you believe financial literacy is important in our communities? Yes. And you said, yes. yes. <laughs> of course. Uh, could you elaborate a bit why? I feel like in order for us to boost our own economy in a sense, we need to be able to know how to start our own businesses because how are we going to boost the black economy if black people do not know how to start their own businesses? Mm, excellent point. So if we all learn, in a sense, how to start our own businesses and keep the money within our community, mm -hmm. obviously it will boost us as a people. Right. Yeah. And then also, I feel like we need to be buying more houses. We need to be just doing more as a people. Yes. I, I totally agree with you. Doing more as a people to create that generational, generational. wealth. Exactly. Yeah, because purchasing a home is... One of the avenues to create generational wealth. Exactly. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So, what are you going to school for right now? Like, what's your major? Um, I do early childhood studies, which is basically like child psychology. Okay. Yes. Now, why child psychology? Um, I've always, I really, since I was young, I knew I wanted to work with children. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know in what sense. So as I said earlier, like when I first picked my A-level subjects, which base and like determine what courses you can do at uni, mm. I wanted to be a child nurse. Mm. But then as I've, I realized that the nursing industry and just the NHS as a whole is just crumbling at the moment. So I didn't really want to be involved in something like that where nurses were saying that they don't even want to go to work because it's so emotionally draining. Mm. And then I knew I wanted to work with children. So I just thought, where do I go from there? Mm. And I knew I wanted to help them in some aspect of their life. Mm. Like, obviously, like, helping children, I feel like it just influences the generations to come. I feel like working with children, it allows you to just better a generation. That's an excellent point. So I've always wanted to influence children, so I thought helping them is the best way to do that. And I thought about teaching, mm -hmm. but then I thought in this country, it's a bit harder to influence children to do better because there's just so many rules and regulations about what you can and can't teach them. Mm. So then I thought, okay, child psychology, because that way I can help them fix the community, mm -hmm. better generations to come. So then that's why I picked child psychology. That is very noble. Thank you. <laughs> very, very noble. And from my understanding, you're about to graduate? Yes, I graduate this year, hopefully. Well, we're going to claim that you're Amen. graduating this year. Amen. Okay, okay. Um, what what month do you know? Um, my last piece of coursework goes in in May, so I'm, after May I'm done. I've not been sitting any modules this year, amen. Ah, so in May I'm done. <laughs> okay, congratulations. Thank you. Okay, what's, what's the plan after graduation? So I've already started applying for postgraduate courses. So I've applied for play therapy, and then I've applied for like teaching but children with special educational needs. Because mm -hmm. I, I currently work with people with educational needs and I find it like a very rewarding job. Okay, and this is what you do outside of going to, going to school. Okay, yes, that's my part time job. I say part time, but it's more like full time. Okay, but yeah. Now, why why do you find that so fulfilling? I feel like just the type of nature I am, because I've always said, in order to be successful in a job, you have to base your job over what type of person you are. Mm -hmm. So I find fulfillment from helping other people. Okay. So that's why I feel like I find the job itself fulfilling because I go to work every day and I come home and I'm like, okay, I've done that today. 
Mm. It's a bit more filling. Whereas I find like it wouldn't be filling for someone else. Like, I feel like it's more so based on the type of person you are. Now, I want to ask, like, is it something that you're passionate about? Like, you find the time going by quickly because you're just so engrossed in what you're doing at the time? Like, sometimes I work 24-hour shifts. And I feel like if I didn't feel like time was going so fast, I wouldn't be able to work shifts like that. So it's less so like a job because I enjoy going in every day. Wow. Who wouldn't? That's really, really good. You know, some people you know 40 50 60 years old mm-hmm. haven't found that thing that drives them yeah, that that that, that you know that passion mm-hmm. for doing something and get paid for it mm-hmm. that's really really good okay um so another question that i also ask <laughs> is about the most impactful or influential book or podcast or some type of publication that you've been exposed to in your life and you mentioned um, how to influence people, people and make friends. And make yes. friends. And who wrote that? I can't remember, but I'll show you a copy of the book. Okay. But I remember because when I was younger, I always used to go um, to my aunt. She used to work on a farm. Uh-huh. So I used to go and um, visit her. And her bosses gave me the book. So I was about 13 and they gave me this book. And the whole summer I spent reading the book. Should be the one with the red cover. Yeah, I'm looking. Dale <laughs> Carnegie. I, I yes. thought that was his name. But it's a very good book. I still have it to this day. Now, why did that book influence you so much? I feel like there was one specific chapter that I read, and it was about the importance of somebody's name. Hmm. And how if, if you lose sense of your name, you lose sense of yourself in an aspect. And I feel that that's like especially true for people that have moved over to countries or been displaced from their homes. Because obviously your name is it's who you are, it's based on your culture, your tradition, your family, your upbringing. Hmm. So it holds a lot of power to you. And I remember reading about this one man and he used to work in a pharmacy. And every single customer would say, oh, his name was too hard, his name was too hard to pronounce. And this one lady, she made it her mission mm-hmm. to be able to say his name and pronounce it properly. Mm-hmm. So every day she used to come into the store, she used to make him say it to her. And then she'd practice it, practice it, practice it. And she eventually got it right. So she went and she said it to him. Mm-hmm. And he started crying because the last time he heard his name was back in his hometown from his mum. So so people had taken so little notice of how important it was to him. Mm-hmm. And just of him as a person. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Wow. So then I figured that someone's name holds a lot of value. Mm-hmm. And we just, in this day and age, we just care very little about people that we can't even take time to learn somebody's name. Very, very true. Okay, interesting. Now, I want to go back a bit. So, we talked about your initial experience, like the culture shock mm-hmm. that you had when you first moved from Bilawayo, well, from Zimbabwe to here. Mm-hmm. Um, had you ever re- experienced any type of racism when you when you moved over, or uh, to date? To Corby, oh my! Yeah. I remember one time me and my, I have another black friend. As I said earlier, I mm-hmm. had two black friends in Corby, and we went town one day and we were walking. Now, when you say went town, so yeah. what is, what does like, that mean? Like to the mall? <laughs> is that what you, okay, okay. Call it? Yeah, I just want to put it in perspective <laughs> for the listeners. So. Yeah. They'll have a point of reference. Yeah. So okay. Like if you go uptown with someone, it's like you go shopping, you go eat. So it's similar to like what you guys would say, like, oh, let's go to the mall. Okay. Okay. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> so 
So then we were just uptown and then we're walking and then somebody like threw a drink and was like, oh, look at those niggas. And I was remember thinking, what? Yeah. I remember thinking, oh my God, and they ran away. So obviously they knew what they were saying was wrong. But I just remember thinking, and they were little children as well. I was thinking, what do you even know about that? Wow. Yeah. That was the first time I ever experienced racism in the UK, yeah. Wow. How did it make you feel? Obviously, I've never been called that before because in Zimbabwe, it's not a prevalent derogatory term. Like, mm. they don't really use that word. So I'd never been called it in a hurtful manner before. Mm. So I was very surprised. Like, I just had to go home because I thought, like, why would someone want to demean me when they don't even know me? Mm. And, yeah. and, and you were with your friend. My like, friend. how did your friend react? She reacted like it had happened to her before. So Explain wanna, what you mean by that. Like, I was very shocked by it, but she just carried on like nothing had even happened. Like, this is what happens. What happens, exactly. You know, to have to act as if that is the norm, mm -hmm. like, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. That's an issue. Wow. So, when you went to Birmingham... I'm I'm pretty sure because you said it was a lot more culturally diverse. Yeah. Did you have any similar experiences like that there? I've been there almost three years now and never. That's good. Mm -hmm. That's good. So, I don't know if you're aware. Well, you're you. I'm pretty sure you are aware of what happened back in what was this around March, uh, April of last year when it was the public assassination or public murder mm -hmm. of George Floyd in America and then the protests started and then the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, it proliferated throughout the world. Um, and even here in the UK, yeah. I, I read an article recently and it was talking about people are still protesting now wow. in the UK. I, I read about, what, what's the university you go to? Birmingham. Birmingham. Was it I, Brighton? Because I Brighton. Think, yes. Brighton. Mm -hmm. It was in in that town. But there's also a university in Brighton, right? Yes. And so people, I, I want to say it was like 50 people, and they were protesting, and the police went immediately to break it up because they said this is against the national lockdown, the social distancing rules. Like, what do you think about that? I feel like. People don't believe there's racism within the UK mm -hmm. because it's very, I'd say, secondhand. It's not in America. You know, people are racist because mm -hmm. they don't they don't care to hide it. Mm -hmm. Whereas in, in in the UK, it's very secondhand. So they'll they'll use a a front or a cover like, oh, it's breaking lockdown rules. Uh... So they don't want to be blatant about their racism. So they rather do it from an angle. Because if you ask a British person today, do they think they're racist? They will say no, but they'll still cross the street when they see a black person walking towards them. Mm. So I feel like it's a, it's a lot of like denial. Mm -hmm. They don't want to own up to their racism. And what do you think that does for race relations in the UK? Like that lack of acknowledgement. I feel like it's a lot harder to fight the problem mm -hmm. because it's so covert. You'll be telling them there's a problem. They'll tell you, no, there's no problem. But then how do you know there's a problem? You're not the person with the problem. 
or experiencing the, the issues, problem, exactly. actually so they are the person exactly. with the problem. So how can you tell me how I should feel? I'm telling you how I'm feeling and you're telling me, no, you don't feel that way. So how do you start an argument? Or how do you start change with someone like that? Hmm. Because you can't even sit down to have a dialogue about exactly. it. Exactly. They can't even acknowledge that there is a problem. And you know, something that I've noticed and, you know, because... I've lived and worked in the United States, lived and worked in the United Kingdom. And, you know, even based on research that I've done in other Western civilizations that are predominantly Caucasian, Germany, France, Italy, you look at the business world, mm -hmm. you know, the top companies, you know, all of them at the highest levels in the organizations, you know, the board level, the executive level they aren't people that look like you and i you know they're caucasian mostly male that are running these companies and these are the companies that are the engines of economy within these civilizations mm -hmm. so you think about it even from that perspective this didn't happen by chance yeah, exactly. you know this is a product of deliberate oppression exactly. this is a product of suppression this is there's a reason why things are the way that yeah, they are. Exactly. You know, so to hear you say, well, when, when you know, you want to sit down and have that conversation exactly. and they won't even acknowledge it, mm -hmm. yet they're still benefiting from it. Exactly. it you know, it's kind of mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. It's just the fact that they refuse to acknowledge it. Like, are we so far gone that we can't even sit down and say there's a problem? That makes perfect sense. And, you know, that's one of the drivers for creating this podcast. You know, I truly want us to share our experiences so that we can begin to practice group economics. Like, we need to support one another. We'll go and support Apple. We'll go and support Google. We'll go and support all these big companies, you know, that don't really have a vested interest in our communities. Like, we need to support those businesses that are going to have a vested interest in our communities. Even when we vote, um, and I'm speaking specifically in the United States because I can't vote here, mm -hmm. but even when we vote, we should vote for those people who are going to push a black agenda, who are going to do something from for these communities that we come from. Definitely. That's really interesting. So, I thought... Your, la your answer to the last question that I asked, if you could send yourself a message, um, say, 10 years in the future, yeah. what would that message be? And I said, spend a little money on yourself. Yeah. Okay, I have such bad financial anxiety. Okay. And I feel like it stems from my mum, because my mother would get money. Obviously, my mother didn't work, so she'd get money from obviously her, boy her boyfriends. Ah. So she'd get money. So she didn't work the whole time? My mom, I've mom's had a job one time in my entire life. Wow, and so the rest of the time it was a man taking, taking care, care of her and her and children. Us, yes. And my mum would get money, and I remember so clearly she'd get money and she'd spend it all in that day. So the rest of the month would go without food, like without power sometimes, because she had spent all her money so quickly. Mm -hmm. So I now, I can get paid a certain amount of money and I struggle so hard, like I have to justify spending money to myself. Mm -hmm. So I'll be like, okay, if you buy this, you can't buy this. If you do this, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. So to myself, I'll sit there and like, even to buy something, like even if it's just 20 pounds, I have to take, like convince myself that it's okay. Even sometimes food, 
which scares me because you need food, Stephanie. Right. But if I find, if I feel like it's um, a luxury item, I'm like, can you go without it? I have really bad financial anxiety. So I'm trying now to condition myself to say, you go to work every day, money's coming in all the time. You can afford to buy yourself some things. Mm -hmm. So that's why I says to myself, because I'm really good at saving. But what's the point of saving all that money if you're not reaping any benefits of going to work? Okay. So you just touched on something. You're really good at saving, but you also talked about how your mom, she would spend her money immediately. immediately. Is there a correlation between that? Yes, definitely. My mom just would spend money with no plan for the future. She didn't really worry too much about tomorrow, what was going to happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I feel like because I reaped the benefit or the disadvantage, I wouldn't call it a benefit, the disadvantage mm -hmm. of having to deal with tomorrow when it came, that I, I'm, I, I save quite a lot of money, sometimes with no point to saving the money. Because obviously when you start saving money, you have a goal. Mm -hmm. So you say, okay, I'm saving this money towards my house. I'm saving this money to buy a car. Now I just save money to save money because I have financial anxiety. Ah. You know, I think that's the first time I've ever heard somebody, you know, explain it that way. Mm -hmm. The reason why they put money aside is because they have that financial anxiety. But I would also say that I think all of us experienced that a bit because I was the same way. Like when I was younger, I remember we just didn't have enough for certain things. And so when I got older, you know, I would have, you know, I would feel uneasy spending money on certain things. As Even now, you know, mm -hmm. year, decades later, yeah. I still feel a bit can't justify it. Yeah, like yeah. uneasy when I spend what I would consider a large sum of money. Well, I, do you think you'll overcome that? I don't think so. I feel like you're conditioned to be a certain way from a young age, and I just feel like that's how I'm conditioned to be. I don't. I don't see myself overcome. I'm working on it, and so you want to overcome. I want to overcome it, but I. Do, I feel like it's just I'm conditioned to be that way. I feel like it's hard to break conditioning. Now, what I will say, I agree with you. It is difficult to overcome conditioning, mm -hmm. but also uh, becoming financial literate, you know, educating yourself on how money actually works. For me, um, I became financially literate about eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And so it was a revelation for me. It changed my life. And that came through educating myself. They came through understanding how money works. They came through understanding how credit works. They came through understanding interest rates. They came through understanding how the American economy works. And then furthermore, how the global economy works and how those things interact to come to paying wages, you know, to why are there a lot of jobs here and not a lot of jobs in this country? Or why are there a lot of jobs in the city that I live in and, you know, we go 30 miles east and there aren't a lot of jobs there? You know, just understanding those things, uh, it, it eased that financial anxiety. It, it helped me to understand, okay, I can now make deliberate decisions to increase the amount of money that I work and the amount of money that I make and not just in the form of wages where I'm being paid by a big some big corporation but through other streams of income you know through investments you know even saving you know when you save your money that money should still be making you money you know get you a savings account where you're getting some type of return on your money because essentially when we go put our money in the bank they're making money off my money but I'm not gaining anything yeah it, 
Exactly. So they go and they invest your money. They're not holding that money so you can come and get it anytime you want. If you go to a bank, you say, hey, I want all of my money, depending on the amount, it's fifty, dollars $100,000. They're going to say, give us a couple days and we'll give you your money. The reason why is because it's tied up in investments. So in that same way, I think, well, in that same way, we as black people need to be you know, stewards of our own money as well. Make that money, make you money. Definitely. You know, and so I always recommend to anybody that I first meet, the easiest way to start that is to start to invest in stocks. And it doesn't have to be anything too difficult. You know, you look at what you own. Like, do you have an iPhone? Yes. And I know I mentioned Apple, big corporation before, and how we invest in them. But now, we're investing in them in a different way. Instead of buying an iPhone, let's buy some Apple stock. You know, as as they benefit, you benefit, and so yeah, I would I, I would highly recommend that. Highly recommend that because that's what's gonna move us from one economic strata to another as a people. Definitely. And also, as I said before, you know, creating communities where we're able to empower them through entrepreneurship. Now, that's not to say everybody needs to be a business owner, but if you're spending money, go spend money with the black business. Or if you're if you if you know of somebody who's doing something, go support them. Exactly. You know, show up. Do do that thing that you know is going to be beneficial for for that person or or that group or whatever it is that they're doing. So I want to uh change speeds a bit. Okay. So as we know, we're in the UK right now. Yes. It's a national lockdown yes. at the time. Yes. Um, I know there was a, um, a recent announcement about a plan to lift restrictions. What are your, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I said to you earlier, look, I just feel like people like to be lied to. Yeah. <laughs> because personally, I don't, I don't see it. Because they said they plan the the whole lock, release of lockdown is based around having everybody vaccinated by June, mm-hmm. at least the first injection. Mm-hmm. Now I've had my jab, the first one. Mm-hmm. I've booked the second one, and the nearest booking I could have got was April because mm-hmm. there's so many people that need to go for their second jabs ahead of me. Mm-hmm. So I don't see it being possible because it's taken us two three months to vaccinate such a small portion of the population, mm-hmm. how are we going to vaccinate that many more people in that short period of time? And I watched the news yesterday, even Boris Johnson couldn't explain how it was going to get done. Just from a numbers perspective. Just from a numbers perspective. Then I just, and then the whole five weeks in between, this whole in and out of lockdown, obviously now they're saying cases are dropping and it's due to the vaccine, but I'm like, how do you know that? Because we've been in lockdown since the vaccine rollout. So our case is not dropping just because we're in lockdown and we're indoors, we're not mingling? Or is it because of the vaccine? So we will we'll not know that until we're let out. Mm. So I, I see us coming back point. in. I mean, I don't want to be a negative vibe, mm. but I see us going back into another lockdown. I feel like it's in and out until everybody's vaccinated. And going back, speaking of lockdowns, like, excuse me, how has that impacted your life? Mentally, financially. Uh, yes, mentally and financially. So I normally live at, out of my parents' house. Mm-hmm. So I had to move back in. And it's very mentally draining to have to explain to somebody where you are all the time when you're used to a sense of independence. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll eat when I want to eat. 
I'll bath when I want to bath. Mm. I can scream in my bedroom at three o'clock in the morning and no one's going to care. Mm. And now I've gone back to a very controlled environment where I feel like I have to be more reserved. Mm. And then you feel a bit out of place because I understand it's my parents, like my father and my stepmom, but I still feel a sense of I'm intruding on their space mm. because I'm used to having my own space. I'm sure they're used to having their own space as well. Mm. So it's very mentally draining. Like sometimes I'll be at work and then my dad will phone me like, where are you? Where do you think I am? I'm at work. And then financially, I'd say one good thing about the lockdown is I've, for the first time in my life, I'm very financially stable because mm. I, I, I work part time. I have a zero hour contract, which means I work as and when I want, mm. which also means I can take the most shifts because uh-huh. I'm not contracted to any set amount of hours. Okay. So some weeks I was working 86 hours. Wow. Yeah. So I've, I've saved up quite a bit of money. Like I'm, I'm on track to, to get my first home before 25. Excellent. Can't wait, can't wait. Obviously not before then because I'm a student and I can't get mortgage. It's a rig. But yes. Hold on. So you said because you're a student, you can't get a mortgage? Yeah. Why is that? Because you, they base it based on your income, isn't it? But obviously my, I'm getting student loans from the government. Ah, so, so they're I saying you don't make enough money to... Buy a house because why are you borrowing money from the government to pay for your student loans? Ah. So two more years. Another barrier to building wealth exactly huh okay interesting okay (laughs) well thank you thank you stephanie so um just to tie all all of this together um it sounds like you had a very interesting upbringing it was very difficult uh you learned a lot of what not to do in regards to finances And specifically when you mentioned how, you know, the way your mom spent her money and now you have that financial anxiety. So you're overdrive in terms of savings. Mm -hmm. But I think it's good to save. I think it's good to save. Um, I think also to relieve that financial anxiety, I think a, a good point is to educate yourself about finances, about money. And you can start with the simplest thing, like like I said, stocks and the things that you already own. And then. Also, educating yourself, period, Mm -hmm. like what you're doing right now to give back to the future generations in terms of becoming a child psychologist, I think is really noble and commendable. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, You're an inspiration. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story, being a guest. Thank you for having me and thank you for hearing my story. I'm putting it out there. You're welcome. You're welcome.